Well, good evening, everyone. Um, it's good to be here tonight as we meet to worship God together. Uh, let's continue in that attitude of worship as we study his word together. But uh, just before we do that, I'm going to give you a brief update um, on how college is going. Um, I suppose, firstly, the obvious place to start is I want to start by thanking you. Um, thanking each and every one of you for your incredible support um, that you've shown to me this year, both financially but also uh, in prayer. I know I really do appreciate it, and I feel um, in this sense I can speak on behalf of Dean as well by saying that we both really appreciate it, and we're both extremely thankful. I'll let Dino himself tell you about how he's finding college, but as for me, Greek tests and essays aside, um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I am finding it difficult and challenging at times, um, if I'm honest, but I know it has been great. I know it's been beneficial. I suppose I'd just like to take this opportunity to maybe give you an idea of what an average week looks like for me at the moment, um, to give you an idea of some of the classes, perhaps, because um, I know some of you have been asking. Uh, Mondays, we start off with world religions, where we study various other religions, and we've had the opportunity um, to go to different places of worship this year. Uh, we've went to the mosque, the Hare Krishna temple, and other places. Um, we also have global perspectives, where there are various mission organizations. Um, they'll come in, they'll tell us about the work that they're involved in. And then to finish off Mondays with Bible Communications Workshop, um, where we're taught more on how to handle scripture and how to expound it well. Um, Tuesday start at 9 a.m. with an hour of Greek, uh, followed by a class on evangelism, and then two hours of biblical theology, so our head is well and truly fried by the end of that day. Um, Wednesdays, again, we start off with Greek, and then we have sermon class, where effectively we're split into two rooms. All the years are put together. We're split into two rooms, and the student will preach um, in each of those two rooms, and you critique the sermon. In the second period of sermon class, then the student that has preached, they'll leave the room, and we all feed back to the lecturer uh, what we thought, and he'll construct some constructive criticism um, to feed back. I had mine just a week or two ago, and they give you um, a theme of what to preach on um, in the first semester. So the theme I got was a funeral service. So I'm left, then I can pick a passage that I think would be appropriate for preaching at a funeral, and I have to preach as if it is a real funeral. Um, Dean, yours is coming up, is it next week? Uh, this week? Uh, Carol service, I think. So uh, Dean would appreciate your prayers, I'm sure, for Wednesday. Um, but then Thursdays we have Gospels with Davy Allison, uh, Genesis with Sarah Dalrymple, and Conduct of Worship with Alan Baird. Um, each of these days we'll have some form of devotions uh, for 20 minutes just after break time. A couple of days it'll be a student um, doing 15, 20 minutes just of a chat of a wee devotion. Um, and then on Thursdays we split into different groups for prayer. So each week is busy. Um, and that timetable will change for second semester. Um, and alongside that, then you have your essays and you have one or two class tests as well. We have a world religions test coming up and we have an essay due more or less every fortnight at the moment. Um, so we do appreciate your prayers and I just thought I'd share some more specific details with you um, about what we're studying so that you'd be able to pray more specifically. Um, but also just to keep you informed, as I know many of you have been asking uh, different questions about the nature of the course. Um, but now let's turn to God's word. Um, so if you have a Bible with you, could you turn please to John chapter 3? Um, 
for each essay in college, we're given the choice of two titles to do. And for Gospel's essay that we recently submitted, um, one of the options was an exegetical essay on John 3.16. So looking at the text of John 3 and looking at all the background. And um, it was very interesting as I did a lot of background reading on that. And so I've decided that tonight we're going to look at that passage together. So uh, it's a passage that's going to be familiar to many of us. And we're just going to read verses 16 to 18 of John 3 tonight. So John chapter 3, beginning the reading at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Amen. Let's pray just as we come to look at God's word. Father, I thank you um, for the opportunity that we have to come and to look at your word together, Lord. The freedom that we have to do it. And I just pray, Lord, now as we do that, that you would take away anything that is of me, Lord. Um, may tonight all be about glorifying your name. And Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would apply this uh, passage to each one of our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. So it would be helpful if you just kept your Bible open as we study this together. Um, it's a verse that we do know well, but it's helpful uh, to keep your Bible open. So at this time of year, we come to especially think of the birth of Christ into the world, don't we? But it's not only the birth of Christ that we remember, but it's also his death, where he died on the cross in our place, because the two, well, they're inseparable, aren't they? The same, see, the Christ that lay that night in Bethlehem in a manger is the same Christ that hung on a cross just over 30 years later. The greatest demonstration of love there has ever been. Someone describes it like this. Fond parents will often say to a child, how much do you love me? And the answer is usually a kiss and a hug. If you put the same question to our Heavenly Father, the answer is the cross. See, that's how much he loved us. One writer describes John 3.16 as what has become in the 20th century the most commonly quoted verse in the New Testament. And within our modern day churches, it's a verse that children have been encouraged to memorize from a young age. It's been described to me in the past as the gospel in a nutshell. And that really stresses the importance of it, while also emphasizing the profound truths to be found in it. But I think many of us, if we're honest, we've become so familiar with this verse that we forget the incredible truth in it. And so tonight we're really only going to be focusing on that one verse. On John chapter 3 verse 16. And tonight will perhaps be slightly different than normal. In the sense that I won't necessarily have two or three key points. But rather we're just going to work through this verse together. And remind ourselves of some important truths. From one of the most well known verses in all of scripture. So how does verse 16 start? Have a look. For God so loved. God's love, his incredible love. Well, we could spend all night talking about that, couldn't we? We could just stop there and talk about that. See, we often talk about love being a, 
a virtue or a characteristic of God. You know, with the, the young people in Jamin on Sunday, we're going through some of the characteristics of God. And God is love is one of the characteristics that we looked at. But it's so much more than that. Love, it's God himself. And love is not something that God begins. Think about that statement for a moment. God did not begin loving you. He always has done. And he always will. 1 John 4 verses 7 to 9. You don't need to turn there. But it says this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. Frederick Buchner describes love in his book The Magnificent Defeat. And he says this. The love for equals is a human thing. Friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate, it's a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate, well, that's a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there's love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. And it conquers the world. So the love of God, it has no beginning. It has no end. In essence, it is, a, it is as eternal in nature as God himself. God is everlasting and the love with which he loves us is everlasting as well. And at this time of year... We come to especially remember this birth, the special, special birth of a special, special baby who would one day die in the ultimate demonstration of that love as he would take away the punishment for our sin. What else do we see in this verse? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. In order for us to understand a little more clearly what that means, we need to read on and see that God gave his only son. He gave him as a sacrifice for us. See, in Old Testament times, um, the Jews would have sacrificed a lamb for the sins of the people. But Jesus had come to take that punishment once for all, as 1 Peter 3.18 reminds us. He took that punishment so that we wouldn't have to. He was that once for all sacrifice. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And so the concept of God giving his son in John 3.16 must be interpreted 
in the light of the Passover theme. And indeed the fulfillment of that through Christ. And John 1.29 tells us that Jesus will be that lamb. The sacrificial lamb who will take away the sins of the whole world. And not just the sins of Israel. Which is important in this verse. And we must note that from verse 16. That the world, as is mentioned here, does not simply mean Israel. You know, uh, to the Jewish reader, to the Jewish audience, that would have been their mindset at the time, that God loved them. But this, this concept of God loving anyone other than the Jews would have been something that would have been very foreign to them. You know, one scholar says this, the Jew was ready enough to think of God as loving Israel, but no passage appears to be cited in which any Jewish writer maintains that God loved the world. You see, the Jews, they were simply not ready to accept that God could possibly love Gentiles as well as them. So God's love of the world is talked about in John's Gospel. It's the Greek word cosmos. When it's used in John, it typically refers um, to sinful humanity as a whole. And it's not just talking about one particular people group. So God loves the entire world. Not just Israel, as the Jews would have thought, but all of creation, Jew and Gentile alike. Even though, as one commentator notes, it's a world that neither understands, nor in most cases accepts, God and divine revelation. And you know, the world hasn't changed much over the last 2,000 years in that sense, has it? We still live in a world that doesn't accept God, that rebels against him. This is what it means for God to love the whole world. And this is what it means for him to give. And it's at this time that we celebrate God's one and only son being given, coming into this world. So all of this begs the question, why did God do it? Why did he send his one and only son and as we've seen, it's because of his love. And so we come to the next part of the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was sent so that we might be saved. But this free gift that is offered to us is something that we must accept. We have to believe. Notice what the next part of the verse says. It's that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So if you've got your Bible open, read that over and over again. Should not perish, but have eternal life. It's whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So by simple deduction, we can realize that those who do not believe in him will not receive eternal life and will perish. And perhaps when you think of it in that way, you realize that this verse is a stark, stark warning to us. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. I'd urge you to come to Jesus, even tonight. Come to the foot of the cross. See what he went through. See what he went through on your behalf. See the love that he has for you and for me. Come to the cross. The story is told of a young man who had been raised as an atheist. 
um, and he was training to be an Olympic diver. The only religious influence in his life came from an outspoken Christian friend. And the young diver never really paid uh, too much attention to him. Um, he kind of thought he was banging on at him a bit and preaching at him. But he heard it often, and whether he realized it or not, some of it was going in. And one night, the diver, he went to the indoor pool at the college he attended. The lights were all off, but the pool had big skylights and the moon was bright, so he thought there was plenty of light for him to practice by. Um, I'll not bother turning the lights on. So he went over and beside the pool, he went over to the diving boards and he climbed up to the very highest diving board. And he walked out to the very edge and he turned his back. He's going to do a backflip. He's practicing his backflips. Turned round, stretched his arms out. And that's when he saw his shadow on the wall. The shadow of his body in the shape of a cross. And it was then that all of the stuff that his friend had said came to remembrance. So instead of diving, he knelt down and asked God to come into his life. And as the young man stood there, a maintenance man walked in and turned the lights on. Just before taking his dive, he looked over the edge and the pool had been drained for repairs. That story really hit home with me. That young man, had he dived, he would have perished that night. Unknowingly, he would have dived to his death. And he would have been in eternity. He would have been separated from God. And that is the reality. I wonder, does that hit home with you tonight? If you were to walk out that door and not make it home, where would you spend eternity? You know, this concept of eternal life, this concept of eternity, um, is something that we can't get our heads around. That's because we live within time, and eternity, it's not bound by time, it's timeless, it's endless. And so it's something that we will never fully grasp, because let's face it, we're all simple human beings. But you'll probably have seen the illustration before, um, I think it was actually used in this church a few years ago, where a man uses a rope, um, maybe say 50 meters in length there's a bit of red tape just at the end of the rope an inch long and at the beginning of that rope that's where the tape is and that represents your life in comparison to eternity you have all the rest of this rope in fact it doesn't even express it well because what does it say eternity's endless so that rope realistically should just keep going on and on and on but we'll say the rope's 50 metres long and this is an inch to start. Your life. That tape represents your life. Well, we spend three quarters of that inch working hard, trying to make ourselves comfortable for that last quarter of an inch. What about the rest? Which so many of us just forget about it. Forget about the other 49 and a half meters or whatever it is. Just under 50 meters. As we close, I wonder are you ready? Are you ready if Jesus returns? For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know, we've started a new series now in church about the names of Jesus. Have you believed in that name? During the Second World War, the U.S. Army was forced to retreat from the Philippines. Some of their soldiers were left behind and became prisoners of the Japanese. The men called themselves ghosts, souls unseen by their nation. And on the infamous Baton Death March, they were forced to walk over 70 miles, knowing full well that those who were slow or weak would be killed by their captors or they would, they would simply die from diseases and lack of water. Those who made it through the march spent the next three years in a cruel, cruel prisoner of war camp. By early 1945, there were still 513 men alive at that prison camp. But they had given up hope. And then news came in the U.S. Army was on its way back. But their hopes of or any rescue attempt were dashed when they heard the frightening news that the Japanese were retreating from the U.S. Army. And as they were doing so, they were executing all of their prisoners. However, their wavering hope was met by one of the most magnificent rescues of wartime history. In an astonishing feat, 120 U.S. Army soldiers and 200 Filipino guerrillas outflanked 8,000 Japanese soldiers to rescue the prisoners of war. Alvy Robbins was one of the rescuers, and he describes how he found a prisoner muttering in a darkened corner of his barracks, tears streaming down his face. I thought we'd been forgotten, the prisoner said. No, you're not forgotten, Robin said softly. You're heroes, and we've come for you. Often in life, we can start to give up hope, start to feel that God has forgotten us, abandoned us to hurt, dark and hurtful experiences. But the cross of Christ reminds us, no, you're not forgotten. And the resurrection gives us the assurance that someday too, we too will see our rescuer face to face, we will be liberated from the distresses of this life. When, when he returns, we too will hear him say, I've come for you. But I wonder, will he say that to you? Does that apply to everyone in here? I trust and pray that it does. Just before the group come and lead us in our closing song, uh, and we'll just bow in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love that you have for each one of us. Thank you for the demonstration of that love, Lord, when you sent your one and only Son into this world. Um, Lord, we know that he would one day go on to, to grow up and live a perfect life, to die that cruel, cruel death, so that we might go free. 
And Father, I thank you for that, and I pray that you'd help us to never take it for granted um, what it truly meant for you to send your son to die in our place. Thank you that he didn't stay dead, but that he rose again three days later, and he's alive in heaven today. Father, I pray for anyone who's in the meeting here tonight, and they don't know you in that personal way, and they haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will speak to them, even tonight. In your name I pray. Amen.